Hi, I'm David Peskovitz. And I'm Mark Frauenfelder. And you're listening to For Future Reference, a podcast from the Institute for the Future. In every episode of For Future Reference, we talk with scientists and engineers whose forward-thinking research has the potential to transform our lives over the coming decade. Today on For Future Reference, we're talking with Eric Paulos, a professor of electrical engineering and computer sciences at UC Berkeley and an artist. At Institute for the Future, we recently researched this idea that everything is media and that we're developing new kinds of experiences with ambient communication technology. The idea is that through the rapid deployment of the Internet of Things, advances in networking speeds and wireless, emerging media platforms everywhere, and of course wearable computers, we're changing the way that we communicate and we're engaging many more senses in doing that. And we're finally able to program our communication streams to optimize the kinds of interactions we have depending on the context that we're in. Eric's work on wearable computing really embodies that idea. So, Eric, let's just start by having you say your name and what you do. Uh, my name is Eric Paulus. I'm an artist, and I'm also a professor at University of California, Berkeley, in Electrical Engineering and Computer Science Department. I like to work on projects uh, around technology and new media and also practice art with a number of troublemakers around the Bay Area and elsewhere. Eric, when you and I first met, uh, you were looking at uh, – robotics, um, but specifically robotics as a medium for communication between people. And then over the years, your work has shifted a little bit. Um, you're still obviously in human-computer interaction, but you've been engaging with projects around wearable computing. And you know, people think about wearables now um, in terms of basically the Apple Watch or the Fitbit. Um, but the recent work that you've been doing goes way beyond those kinds of form factors, and I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I think the main issue is that we're going to live in a future landscape that's filled with technology around us, and it's not that watches and smartphones and Fitbits are not an interesting landscape for technology to develop, but as a researcher, there's a particular obligation to try to think out new kinds of interactions, new sites of interaction, and new form factors. Um, some of them are, you know, useful, and some of them are perhaps provocative, but more than anything, they help a conversation about which direction we should go with different technologies and sort of point out where there's good opportunities and where there's, there's trouble spots to kind of debate. Some of those are trying to look, again, as you pointed out, beyond the wristwatch and things like that. So we've been thinking about how, you know, more e-textile clothing can be involved. We're looking at how the skin can be part of the interaction. So working with embedding electronics into sort of temporary tattoos that can be interactive, wow. um, as well as some newer landscapes. We're looking at um, fingernails and the hair and a number of places that I think even you mentioned my robotics background. I think that Kinetics has a big part to play in how the body um, and wearables can kind of co-participate in that landscape. Well, wow. can you tell us a little bit about your Skintillates project? The name itself is is uh, 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 you know quite provocative. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a little bit intentional to sort of not uh, sound bland. It gets you thinking about uh, some plays on words, as you as you pointed out. But that project was really thinking about 
you know, the largest human organ, which is the skin, and how that could be really foregrounded as a site for wearable computing, wearable electronic interaction. And I think that essentially the, the underlying technology there is to use a variation of temporary tattoos, which uh, we layer in different substrates, and it's very reminiscent of building electrical circuits or MEMS technology, where you're sort of building up electrical connections through layers. But we're doing it with a more flexible electronics, and we're embedding capacitive sensors and um, resistive sensors and different strain gauges that we can build. And we use some standard processes that people would likely be familiar with, like silk screening and things like that, to actually develop the circuit. So it also draws from, from arts and, and, and craft as well. And the idea is that we can actually start to build interactions on your skin. So now uh, things that look very much like a tattoo, obviously they're temporary tattoos, but they're now can be interacted with as sort of buttons and, and sort of you can control things with your skin. Now, a lot of these wearables actually are interesting because most of the discussions are around the kinds of applications. So, you know, can you monitor how people are, um, you know, their walking behavior or what alerts they're getting? And I think with wearables, the interesting thing for me is that, of course, they have to have a functional component, but they also need to be fashionable. And I'm certainly not a fashion designer, but I do understand that these things, because they're so visible, they're part of an adornment on the body, and people choose to wear them and use them not because they function or how many mitts they have or how much memory, but because they have a certain aesthetic or look or a cultural identity that people are pulled into. So that project in particular is really strong in that sense because, as you well know, tattoos have a very long history. Um, you know, some of it's sorted, but around tattoos and how uh, people's cultural and um, kind of identities are, are pulled out of that visual aesthetic. Wow. So, I mean, after you've just explained to me that one of your main areas of interest is the um, design and aesthetics of, of the device, can you also talk a little bit about how one may use a temporary electronic tattoo? You know, what, is it, what does a world look like where you're walking around with these? So these temporary tattoos would have perhaps visual cues that maybe are, are meaningful to you. They might look like they have certain buttons or they might actually illuminate or, or sort of change in some respect. But it means that no longer are you going to sort of pulling out your phone or even looking at your wristwatch. Maybe you'll be actually interacting directly with your skin, so uh, tapping it to, to call people or send messages or just to send signals to, to different people. So some of the, I think, interesting applications we haven't even worked out, but opening up a conversation about let's think about interactions not through a glass screen, either that you wear on your wrist or you carry in your pocket and pull out from time to time, but what if you actually push on the skin? So it's a very visceral, intimate kind of interaction. Um, you could start to have the conversation, where is it even appropriate to be touching yourself in public to interact on the skin? So all of these are the kind of interesting conversations that um, you'll well remember when it was not culturally accepted to pull out your phone um, to take a message or a phone call at a you know, dinner or something like that. Whereas you know, we might ask the question, well, where is it appropriate to be sort of touching or even stroking or you know, doing things on your skin you know, in public or with others. So I think these are all really interesting and provocative questions, but in the terms of research and the kinds of 
technologies we're going to have. We already have smart bandages. We have things that can kind of monitor our health, that can tell us, you know, how our posture is. And these are all the kind of things that we can build into these sort of patch-based wearables that can monitor what you're doing. They can sort of report about, uh, you know, everything from skin, of course, skin health and, and things like that. But they can also be playful and create these really fanciful creations of, uh, you know, sending more intimate signals directly to someone's body. I like this idea that you're you're pushing on, like, the mores surrounding their use um, almost before you're even, you know, thinking deeply about the applications. It's almost like just assuming that the applications will come, which they probably will, and how we deal with them in a social context. Yeah, I think another thing is that you're used to most things that are sort of, I guess, fashion that you're wearing. Maybe that you made a choice about the clothing you're wearing today, the, the shirt or the shoes. You've maybe made a choice about if you do have tattoos or not. All these things are sort of choices that you make, and they're fairly static. I don't think that during this course of conversation you've changed your clothing. I certainly haven't. Um, that assumes that I'm but... wearing clothing, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> There's more to talk about than I can imagine. So you, you've just taken it in a whole new direction. Um, but there's very near term, you will be able to make changes. You will actually have clothing and lots of things that you can change throughout the day. It could be as subtle as just adding some stripes to your clothing or a different pattern. There could be reasons that you want to do that same, similar thing to your skin. The tattoo might look or illuminate in different ways. It might have different refractive patterns throughout the day. And it just opens up this incredible sort of landscape as a sort of designer, as a human-computer interaction practitioner of what does it mean to even have clothing and fashion dynamic that, you know, like I mentioned earlier, that my shirt might be different at the end of the day or at the end of this phone call. Do I direct it? What choices do I have? Um, I think we're all used to, you know, someone wears a, a T-shirt from an old, you know, punk band and it sort of signifies that yeah you were there you're at the concert you you're in the know i i recognize all these sort of social indicators but you know maybe they weren't you know maybe they just bought it uh, online so you could imagine you know these clothing that would be digitally signed that proves i was at the concert or that i was you know at the game or something like that um but there's Disturbing things, you can sort of hack into people's clothing and suddenly change messages on them. People could sell advertising on them. There's very strange directions as well. But I always feel we're in a sweet spot with the research when we're able to sort of really see a lot of those kind of more disturbing or sometimes malicious things in the landscape because it gives us good indicators that this project really is interesting um, and has a lot of different directions it could go in. So, Eric, can you talk a little bit about some of the cutting-edge hardware that you, you see coming down the, the, the tubes that you are looking forward to incorporating into some of your creations? Yeah, I think most of it has been – so some of the work that, uh, that I talked about is some newer technology that is sort of maybe either shape-changing or uh, texture-changing, things like that. Um, I think – the interesting stuff will really be on new forms of kind of tactile interaction. So we're all used to, you know, maybe having a phone vibrate in our pocket or a watch kind of give us a tap from time to time. But what we really are looking at is new ways of kind of transmitting and feeling more 
a much more dynamic range of sort of tactile interactions. So things as gentle as feeling a sort of subtle breeze on your on your hand or feeling, you know, actually things such as not just sort of pressure or tapping, but can you feel something twisting or pulling or tugging on you? So these kinds of things, I think, open up from a design standpoint. It's sort of a, a richer vocabulary that we can start to play with. And I think some of those, there's some there's some clear applications of kind of alerts and transmitting a genuine sort of hug to someone and all of those kinds of things. But a bigger thing is could you actually start to transmit information that's almost another sense altogether. So the idea is that you could actually um, maybe understand another language or you could hear something and, and learn about it through the experience of your senses that you have. But maybe there was augmented information that came through some other technique that was mapped onto a sensation of feeling. And it was almost another way of receiving knowledge. Um, it's a little far out there because you have to kind of presuppose that we would understand what that means. But if you speculate forward, there could be an entire vernacular that's, you know, cross-cutting across cultures that has embedded information that just can be sensed and also kind of understood from a language-neutral perspective about what these things might mean. Yeah, I mean, even something as simple as I remember when I was really little and my mom would, um, scratching my back when I was going to sleep, would spell out words on my back, um, you know, and that's almost in a way a tactile interface or tactile communications, um, you know, and I think that when you're dealing with so much information coming at you from everywhere all the time, um, you know, which we're just barely scratching the surface of experiencing, you know, you're going to need these kinds of uh, uh multi-sensory interfaces to, to even deal with the overload. You know, we only have one set of eyes. Yeah, scratching the surface, uh, pun intended, I take it. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, there's a really powerful thing to think about. <clears throat> what if an entire generation grows up with that as yet another form of communication? Now, like other things, it could be done in this way that's kind of really destructive and, and distracting to things and, and actually draws us you know, away from everyday real life, but it could, if it's sort of done correctly, and that's like why as researchers we try to push towards that direction, at least have the conversation move in that direction, is that could be an, a, just a powerful tool to like pull cultures and people together around the world around, you know, take them away from looking at glass screens all the time. I mean, <clears throat> it's a little ways off, but these are big promises that are really exciting to think about. And they're not that far off. It's not as if we can't start to think about technologies that scale. Can you talk a little bit about what uh, I've seen as kind of a trend from kind of intentional interactions with with technology to kind of ambient interactions? And what I'm thinking of is, um, you know, they have these devices that you can hold against your your skin and it will measure your pulse uh, maybe galvanic skin response to like check your stress and things like that. But it's like to to measure your blood pressure and stuff. It's like you have to like do it intentionally, as opposed to technology where you might like pick up your phone and when you're just in the course of having a conversation with somebody or texting, the phone is like absorbing all of this information about you, measuring your pulse, taking the cameras, looking at your skin, and seeing you know the the health of your skin and if there's any moles on there that are unusual and stuff like that. Do you see us leading in this direction where machines are kind of like almost taking care of us instead of us having to 
to command them to do that for us and, and what that means? Yeah, there's this sort of cohabitation, so to speak, I think you're sort of getting at. Um, you, you can't tell that, is my phone not transmitting my love and affection for you? Is that, is that you're not getting that <laughs> signal? I must have t- not turned on that feature, I guess. Um, yeah, I think there's actually this, we're going to want to have these things have a little bit more participatory kind of coexistence with us. Now, to be fair, I think a lot of those things you mentioned, some of them will, be very, will, will happen automatically, like measuring all these kind of more physiological features. We obviously already can do pulse and we can do kind of, you know, temperature and these heart rate, these things that we can do. And there's a lot of them that are, you know, near term. A lot of them, there's a lot of great applications around health um, and just wellness in general. Um, some of them are around um, really giving people that have either deficiencies or, or certain disabilities having really radical new ways to express themselves, which is really empowering. Um, I also think that, you know, one thing that people can get caught up in is, you know, all these things were being sold as sort of fashion items, and they have these particular, you know, almost social baggage with them about how they should be used and not used, or sort of sometimes that comes into a discussion about, you know, only certain genders should be wearing a certain kind of, you know, fashion or um, different kinds of body styles or body types. So I think my hope is that actually through the kind of proliferation and, and of a lot of different types of really different types of wearables, that we could start to have a conversation about how people can take back more ownership of that. And these can really be more of an individualized idea of how people can express themselves and really own it and really play with body type and identity and gender and have these not be so dictated by the sort of largely companies that are um, driving particular markets. Now, it's, it's, a, it's an uphill battle, but, you know, this is what computing culture is about, revolutionary acts and, and radical changes in, in metaphors and in cultures. And so, you know, why would we think anything less? Wow. Eric, you've mentioned to me that you're working in some really fresh new areas, um, and you used a term that I thought was fascinating. And, you know, before our time's up together, I was hoping you could give us a little little preview of what you mean by cosmetic computing. Yeah, well, so cosmetic computing really plays on that last item that, that I mentioned, which is really this idea of trying to take back a lot of ideas about uh, fashion and technology and use it as an opportunity to you know, leverage that into a broader participation of individuality through these technologies. Um, I think a lot of people read that as, well, cosmetic, and I think immediate people think of makeup and things like that. Um, so we're trying to be really clear that really we're drawing from the kind of etymology of, of, of cosmetic, which is really um, to give a form of, of, of dress or appearance. And there's lots of ways to do that, and everybody does that. We all have cosmetics in any time that we are probably just not bone naked. So if we add any adornment, be it clothing or a hat or uh, do something to our hair or do something to our nails, they're all things that are cosmetic. And I, I would like to celebrate that as you know, a more gender-neutral kind of invitation that we can all co-participate in that. And I think once we have these different kinds of wearable technologies and we position them so that they can be, they have some really functional uses, but they also have 
playful and performative engagements. I think all of us do that. We, you know, uh, touch our clothing or play with our hair or we wear, uh, you know, things on our body as things that make us feel comfortable or excited to be humans and signifiers. And why can't we extend that into a playful experience with more interactive wearable electronics? And I think we're just at the nascent stages. And, you know, I'm excited about the things we exist, but as a critique point, they're kind of mostly risk things that light up and do things we would expect them to do, you know, like tell us the time and reminders. And they're doing radical cool things, but when I look at that with the lens of kind of a researcher, I see, well, we are missing out on sort of 99% of all the other things that are certain to come. And so I would like to try to have that discussion and make those prototypes and have those interactions. Um, so that's the exciting direction we're trying to take with this cosmetic computing um, idea. Fantastic, Eric. Your work always uh, continues to surprise me. It's almost like surprising computing. So thank you so much for being with us on For Future Reference. Thanks a lot, Eric. This has been great. Great. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. All right, buddy. David. Take care, Eric. Bye. All right. Bye. Okay, bye. I really like Eric's idea of this future landscape with technology that's all around us and how it gives our bodies new sense abilities. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. New sensibilities. That's a good that's a good way to, to look at it. Um, I also like that Eric's research, you know, while he's developing these new kinds of technologies, you know, uh, uh, wearable computing, temporary tattoos and things like that, the most interesting thing for him um, isn't the applications, but the kinds of, of social mores and, and, you know, weirdness that's going to occur when we're using these technologies. I agree. And I think that's like something that I find really refreshing in, in when a scientist or a researcher is more interested in the effects of a new technology than what the technology is. To me, both of them are interesting. I, I love hearing like how it happens, but kind of the, the ripple effect of, of that on society and, and the fact that he cares, I think, is like a, a really good trait to have. Absolutely. And it's not hand wavy. I mean, he's actually making prototypes of these technologies that work for the sole purpose of seeing, you know, what kind of weird effects they're going to have when people start to use them. Yeah, that's so cool. Thanks for listening to For Future Reference. I'm David Peskovitz. And I'm Mark Frauenfelder. For more information about Institute for the Future and to subscribe to the For Future Reference podcast, visit iftf.org. For Future Reference is underwritten by a grant from the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation with production support from Parker Yesko and BMP Audio. Greg Fleischett composed the music.